Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you know what's good for you, you'll have number 279 ready for the closing hymn today. That's your message of hope. The hope that we will get done. <clears throat> We're looking at gleanings from the uh, minor prophet of Joel. Just some, for four weeks now, we've been just hitting some spots of um, interest that we can correlate with the new covenant as well. So far, the appeal of Joel was to Judah. And it was to Judah to save them from the total demise of the next generation. He was issued to go to Judah to encourage them to give them a message that would help save them if they responded to it from the total failure that was impending upon the next generation. He wanted to save the next generation by what they began and to do, were to begin and to do now. And that's what is talked about in verse 3 of chapter 1. Tell your sons about it. Now I know some of you don't like that, but that's what it says. Tell your sons about it. Let your sons tell their sons, and their sons the next generation. As we've said before, it only takes one neglectful generation to lose any cause. Just one. So he's commissioning these people, tell your children to tell their children to tell their children about the consequences. Tell them about the history of the people of Judah. We've talked about that. An observation I want to make in review, concluding the review of that section of where we've already been. God will not do anything for your kids. That is apart from the instruction from the Word and from your training them in the Word and the discipline to that training. That's why children have parents. They don't need parents. Become a puppy mill. But the reason that there is a family as well as there was the family of Judah, was so they could communicate things to them on down the line of what God will not do. 
God will not preserve the next generation. He will not preserve it apart from our teaching them what they ought to believe, what they ought to do. Apart from that, we've lost the next generation. God will not assume the responsibility of this generation to communicate to the next generation. It is our responsibility now. Folks, if you understand anything about the Old Testament, you understand that. Every book is filled with that principle. Now, how does that grab your feathers? It is through the scriptures that God works. That is his means. That is God's idea of equality. He works through the same means equally for all. God is no respecter of persons. God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty is limited by his written word. God can do anything and, and obviously the universe is evidence of that. But God's sovereignty, God limits his sovereignty. He exercises restraint in the use of his sovereignty and the, the standard by which he limits his own sovereignty is his word. His word, his written word, now written. And that is what limits him. That is where, why we have some insurance. That what he says, that's the way it will be. If we hold true, that's the way it will be. If we fail, here are the consequences, that's the way it will be. That's why we have the record. These things are written for your admonition. And apart from that, there's nothing but hogwash. <clears throat> so that sovereignty of God is expressed in his son, actualized by the apostles. And it is, it is then recorded as history for us to evaluate and respond to now. We must do it that way. Even prayer has to be in accordance to the written word. It has to be in accordance to the will. And how would we know what his will is? I don't know about you, but I've looked under a lot of rocks in my life, and I've never found his will under any of them. We, where we go in the summertime, and we'll be going in a couple of weeks, we find these, there's a river there, and it has big agates. They, they don't look like agates, but they're about this big around. Bigger than a cannonball by far. And what you'll find is, is that you can roll them over in the water. You'll find a little place like this where the agate is oozing out of them. And you can cut those. And sometimes they have color. Sometimes they're not worth much. But I've never found, I've never found anything about God there except that God is the creator. And that's evidence. But it doesn't tell me what to do, where to go. And too many people are spending their time looking under rocks when that's not where it's going to be found. Well, another thing that uh, in review, of, we've discussed all those factors, is that Joel makes clear that there are no exceptions to the rule. You are not special. You go to, oh, you're so special. Well, you don't find that anybody, anywhere in the scriptures. Folks, there are no exceptions. If you were special, there would be exceptions. There are no exceptions. We are not special. If we do wrong, 
You can't be special enough to avoid the wages of your wrongdoing. You're not special. You are subject to the same standard that God has put in place for everyone. And we call that grace is what God has done for all of mankind equally. It is always static. It is never operative. That's why in the New Testament, there is never in the original word, in the original language, a by in front of grace. Because by would make it operative. There are religious groups that have influence and they put the by there. Folks, it's not there. It's through. Dia. And it means that it is static, that it's not operative. It is what God has done equally for all of mankind. And we are to enter into grace and to take our stand in grace. There are no exceptions. If you're outside of grace, you are unforgiven. If you're in grace, you are forgiven. And there's only way to, one way to come into grace, and that's to come into Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're, you have no forgiveness. If you're out of Christ, you have no forgiveness. And we're interested in what God does, not what you and I do. Except in response to what it is that God has done. Let's look at Joel chapter 2 and verses 12 and 13. Even now, <clears throat> declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart, except for those who feel like they're special and they don't have to do it God's way. How many of you feel like you're that? If you are, folks, you have no business being here. You return to me, and of course he's speaking here of the corporate body, made up of all of the individuals of Judah. Return to me with all your heart. And with fasting. That means, as we discussed last week, that means to get serious about the things of God. Most people never get there, never so serious about the things of God that they will go through a fasting period with the intent of reaching solutions. Weeping, that's developing a sensitivity to your wrongdoing against God. Most people, no, never, most people never feel the hurt that goes on in God's heart when they sin. Weeping is having a sensitivity about what you've done. Mourning has a sensitivity to other people and what they may have gone through or done. See, all those words have a different significance. And rend your heart. Get it tenderized. And not your garments. Not the outward show. Now return to the Lord your God. So, folks, if you've gone away from God as Judah had gone, and God is giving to Joel a message of how they can correct their situation. They have to hear what it is he said because they have no other way of knowing except what comes through the prophet. He's giving them the warning and he says if you want to be spared the disasters of chapter 1, here's what you have to do. Otherwise, there are no exceptions. You will suffer. And the unfortunate thing is that when 
A judgment of God came to these people. It was for those who had rebelled against God, but the innocent people who did not go along with that, they still suffered. Because that's just the way it works. All right. Everybody but me. No, he's including, if you're in that situation, it includes you, it includes me. There's no exceptions. Now, let's go to back to 1 John, chapter 2. Is everybody warm enough? Yes. Okay. Well, we can turn the heat up, you know, if we need to. Um, I thought it was cool this morning in here, but it doesn't take long. 1 John 2, 15 on. <clears throat> How, how do we get back into God's favor? Speaking of it from the standpoint of being a part of Judah, how do they get back into God's favor? And, you know, they don't like the prophet Joel. They don't like what he's telling them. So, do you have a better way? Well, of course, God's way is the only way, and there's nothing that can alter that. But we have to see that there is always a condition that we have to meet to be favorable and in God's side. God's, we need to be on God's side. And to do so, there are conditions that we have to meet. And it begins as, as Joel said to Judah, you've got to rend your heart. We've got to get our hearts straight. Look at 1 John 2.15. He's dealing here with heart issues. Do not love the world. So immediately we find out that love is a decision. Do not place your affections, your driving power toward the world or the things that are in the world. And most of us are driven by, I'd like to have that better car, I'd like to have that better house, I'd like to have that, I'd like to, I'd like to catch one of the fish that... that uh, uh, Fred sent me a picture of this week, you know, a little, little baby minnow. You know, we use those for bait where I fish. I'm just teasing, Fred. Do not love the world. It is your responsibility to make a decision. What you love. And here he is saying, do not love the world nor the things in the world. Don't place all of your affection upon those things. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, most of which you'll find in religion, by the way, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now the... To, to capitalize, uh, to put a cap on that, verse 17, the world is passing away. That includes all the things that he has just, the word cosmos means everything that is temporary. Now that doesn't mean that we live in the temporary, doesn't mean that there aren't things that we have to deal with in the temporary, but if that is where our passion is, folks, we're out of step with God. The world, everything temporary is passing away. Also is lust. But the one who does. What's the operative word there? 
does. The one who does the will of God, that's the one who lives forever. A lot of things are absent from that verse because he's speaking to those who have already become believers so he doesn't have to tell them to be believers. He is simply those who do the will of God whatever that entails are the ones who live forever. There is where our affection, that's where our love needs to be focused. That's dealing with the heart. Our condition that has to be met to see God's favorable side is to be and bring our life into agreement and into harmony with verses 15 through 17 of 1 John 2. Now here is something back in Joel chapter 2 and verse 13. Joel chapter 2 and verse 13. Uh, something that, uh, from Joel that we need to know about God. In the latter part of this verse, I'll read the whole thing again. Rend your heart. See, we've just talked about cleaning up your heart, getting your heart right. Nobody can do it with you. Anybody who says there's some other way, they're just screwy. You have to make the decision. It has to be an act of your will. That's why God has made us sovereign individuals finite in our sovereignty. But as he has given us the word that defines that sovereignty, God has defined the exercise of his sovereignty by the word. Does not operate apart from it. If he did, you would be right to reject him. He has, he's no good. You know, you might as well go to idolatry. He is gracious. Now return to the Lord, your God. He is gracious. He is compassionate. And there are, I think, four, I, only think, I can only think of three, but I think there are four different original words for compassionate. And some of them simply mean, very simply, as it's used in 1 Corinthians, the word compassion, is that God doesn't do anything, but he's very aware of it. It's just like uh, the sparrow that falls. God is aware of the sparrow. How many of you heard that? Something to that effect. Can a sparrow fall without... See, it, it, what happens to the sparrow? It, it still falls, doesn't it? And it still dies... But God has compassion in that he is cognizant of what's happening. But he doesn't stop it. All right. Verse 13. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loving kindness and relenting. He will reverse his position. Relenting of evil. He wants to let it go. He, he, wants, he wants to forgive. But folks, he cannot, he is bound by his, the limitations of his sovereignty that he cannot forgive unless you do what? Unless you repent, your forgiveness of, by God is always contingent on what you do in response to God. And if you don't repent, there is no forgiveness. And if you're not added into Christ, His way to enter the grace of God, you are in your sin. It is so simple. 
I don't know why we have to confuse it. All right, so there's something from Joel to learn. And uh, I'll go, go back to Psalms. And you know, uh, as warm as it is, I think I'm going to stop early today. Anybody be sorry? I see a lot of folks, yeah, boy, please do. Well, I got to read one more. What, who said that? What did you say? I think only you'd be sorry. All the what? Only you'd be sorry. Only I, oh. Well, no, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll quit. Our, well, we got to deal with this passage. Let's go to Psalms 115. And I haven't got into the last two things that I wanted to talk to you about in Joel. But we can pick those up. Uh, this is kind of a review of where we've been. I'm just kind of hitting the highlights again so that we try to get it set in our minds of how God functions. And you see, unless we understand how God worked in the Old Testament, Jesus means nothing. Because we don't come to Jesus, do we? We come to the Father through whom? We come through to the Father through Christ. No one comes into the Father but through me. We are going to God. He's the one with whom we have to do. Jesus is our mediator. But friend, he can mean nothing to you if you don't know who God is. And that God doesn't play games. Psalms 115. Look at verses 1 through 8. And that will probably take our time up today. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? Why? Well, we know where our God is. Our God is where he can't be driven out from, and that's heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Bound by what? Bound only by His Word. That's, that's the limitation of His sovereignty, as He has stated many places, many times, in different ways. Their idols, our God is in the heavens. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of man's hands... They have mouths, but they cannot speak. As you're walking up to Mars Hill through Athens, out of Athens, where the uh, uh, old temple ruins are, and you're walking up the trail there, they have reconstituted a lot of the old idols that you walked through, that Paul walked through, and gave his, um, wasn't it Acts chapter 17, his account from Mars Hill, I think, I think that's right, and uh, walking, walking by all of those idols and gods. And today they have replicas there, and they have, um, you know, those idols, they, they have mouths. You can talk to them. How are you doing today? You know, what do you expect? Oh, here's one over. Good morning. You know, just like a lot of church folk, you know, no response. <laughs> Teasing. All right. 
But they have mouths and they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have eyes, but they cannot feel. I mean hands. But they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. Oh, and that's why when Paul walked through all of those uh, uh, idols and got up to Mars Hill and gave his speech, he said, I perceive that you are a very religious people. And then he talks about the thing that we're talking about here. They have feet. They cannot walk. They, have, they cannot make a sound with their throat. Kind of like I was two weeks ago, you know. I had all the facilities, but nothing seemed to work. Verse 8. Now this one is one I want to let you dwell on a bit. Those who make them will become... And some of the translations say those who worship them. But we'll leave it the way it is in the New American. Those who make them will become like them as well as everyone who trusts in them. Now you think about that. You don't like the way you look? Well then make an idol or simply begin to place your trust in something you, you really like the looks of and you'll become like it. The psalmist is saying a truth. That you will become like what it is you worship. And if you want to become something other than God, find something other than the Jehovah God in heaven to worship and you can change your looks. But if you want to worship the Lord, you will become like the one you worship. You will become and you will begin to think like what it is you worship. So it is important that you make a decision, which is what we're going to talk about next week from Joel, is the valley of decision. There are decisions to be made, and a decision right now is that we need to make a decision to worship God so that we have the draw to become like what He is and become God-like in our thinking and in our actions. One tends to become like the God he worships. And I'll just tell you where we're going, then we'll close. Next week, we're going to look at Joel gives to these people a long look, as all of the prophets did, intertwined in all of their warnings to the people of Israel or to Judah, depending on who they're addressing. He always gives them, the prophet always gives to them their purpose, their mission as a nation, and keeps it in focus before them, and that's what Joel does in chapter 2. We'll discuss that next week. And secondly, Joel in this book makes clear the place of decision-making, uh, the place that decision-making has in God's scheme of redemption. And we'll talk about that uh, next Lord's Day. Let's sing our closing home song today. Um, <clears throat>
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.